it's time to talk about all things mental health. This is Get Mental with Cecile Ahrens. As a seasoned licensed therapist, Cecile is the owner of Transcend Therapy and is here to inform, guide, and connect you on the big and small everyday happenings that affect our mental and emotional well-being. Cecile is passionate about making a lasting and positive impact on people, connecting them to their own wisdom and strength while having a little fun along the way. Get ready to challenge the power of your human spirit. It's time to get mental. And now here's your host, Cecile Ahrens. All the things they say should matter, corrupted by the senseless chatter. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Get Mental. Welcome back. This is Cecile Ahrens, and today we are being joined once again by Anna Della Paz, one of our therapists at Transcend Therapy. We are an outpatient uh, private practice in San Diego, providing individual couples and family therapy. If you want to learn more about our practice, just go to transcendtherapyca.com, transcendtherapyca.com, and you'll find information there on what we do and how we can help you and how to contact us. All right. So thank you, Cecile, and good morning to our listeners. Again, my name is Anna, and I'm so glad to be back on the show to continue the very important conversation that we started a couple weeks ago. Um, And today we're really focusing on helping someone who is struggling with substance abuse and their family members. Um, Because we, again, are therapists, we're going to be looking at the mental health side of this as well. Um, But I really am just glad that we can continue this conversation because it's so, so vital that people have more information, more knowledge. Absolutely. And like we said before, this affects more people than those afflicted with cancer, which I thought was really staggering and sobering. Yeah. And when we, again, look at how many people we see in our practice struggling with substance abuse, it's, you know, it's numerous. It's just so difficult to really grasp the Uh, size and the vastness of this problem because we see it in so many arenas. And one of the ways that we see it is affecting family members and friends. If they're not the person abusing the substance, they're coming in because of the impact of someone's substance abuse or addiction, because addiction isn't always about abusing a substance. Yeah. And Cecile, it might be a great time for me to kind of break down what we mean by addiction. There are lots of definitions, um, lots of ways to conceptualize this. But when we think as therapists of addiction, uh, substance abuse, we look at some criteria. One of those is craving. So somebody is having a strong need or desire to use alcohol or drugs um, or to engage in a different type of behavior that Mm -hmm. creates negative consequences Mm -hmm. for them. Um, This person might also start to feel really anxious or nervous uh, if they can't get their drink or their drug. Um, It's a very, very common symptom of addiction. Uh, Another way that we could notice, you know, a loved one, a family member um, in the throes of addiction is that they've lost control over their use. Um, They might drink more or take more um, of a substance than they intended to, and they may not be able to stop on their own. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's when we see sometimes family members and loved ones saying, well, why can't they just quit? Right. 
Right. So um, thinking it's just, you know, a logical problem that they can solve yeah. when really it's a medical condition. Mm-hmm. It's just something, oh, it's their choice. It, there is a matter of choice involved. But over time, especially when we get to this other criteria of tolerance. It's a disorder. Some, yeah, it's a medical mm-hmm. issue. Um, this person might be, you know, needing more and more of alcohol or drug in order to feel the effects. And now they've developed a physical tolerance. And then as well, they may start to have dependence on the substance. They're needing to use it in order to feel, in their words, normal or okay. Um, They're going to have to do that frequently, uh, use the drink or a drug in Mm -hmm. order to be okay, to feel all right. Um, The last kind of criteria that's not part of our official diagnosing, but is extremely, extremely common, is that of denial, a symptom really, of addiction is denial. So this is a person who thinks that, you know, there's drinking or um, their drug use is totally okay. It's in within normal limits, um, but they're really expressing these negative and irrational beliefs about their use. They may not believe that their substance use is impacting their family the way that they, you know, that really is. Mm -hmm. Um, They might be blaming others Mm -hmm. um, for the consequences of their drinking or their drug use. Right. And, you know, the interesting thing about denial, as you were talking, got me thinking that it also applies. I see it a lot, too, with those impacted by substance abuse, right? That the loved one coming into the office may also be in denial Mm -hmm. about the gravity and the impact of substance abuse not so on their bad. life. Maybe it doesn't compare to another family member or another friend that they know. Right. Um, they, they give it degrees. Well, oh, it's, it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk a little bit about that um, more when I get into um, some of the ways that, or some of the roles that family members get into when you are f- trying to uh, function and coexist with a substance abuser. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the, some of you might be wondering, what are some of the risk factors that may contribute or cause substance abuse, right? Like what makes somebody more prone or susceptible to having this medical disorder? Um, so some of the things that, uh, some of the factors that may lead to that are family history of substance abuse or addictive behaviors because there's a genetic predisposition for some people. And it's not a clear cut. Um, you have this gene in your DNA and that's going to make you an addict. Right. It's just a risk factor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and stress or stressful events mm-hmm. can lead people to to start, first to start using a substance. And then over time, it becomes habitual. And like Anna was saying before, then you start to build up a tolerance and dependence and the next thing you know, you're not just treating your stress, you're also developed a substance abuse problem. Now you have two problems. I always remind folks that uh, addiction is a progressive disease, similar to say type two diabetes. It takes time to build up. And by the time that you realize that it is a diagnosable condition, it's it's very, it's, it's very, very risky. Right. Right. But the the good news is, because we believe this at Transcend Therapy is that you can get back, well, you can get help, you can get better. The first step is acknowledging you have a problem and making that call, right? So even though, no matter at what stage of the disease process you realize you might have a problem, don't let that, um, you know. Yeah, no one is ever too far gone for help. Right, right. 
And we say that here all the time. You're never too old, never too sick, and all of that good stuff. So the other uh, risk factors also include traumatic experiences, such as abuse, uh, child abuse, or even as an adult, you know, um, some of my clients have been raped or sexually assaulted, unfortunately, as adults, and that can sometimes propel an addiction process. Um, Certain personality characteristics, such as uh, if you have like, if you tend to have um, high impulsivity or sensation-seeking personalities, you tend to be, you can be at risk. Uh, Certain mental health conditions like anxiety and depression ADHD, bipolar disorder, even insomnia, because a lot of people use it as a sleep aid, um, and other psychiatric conditions that are poorly managed. So you start to self-medicate. Accessibility to the substance as well puts you at risk. It's easy to get. Um, Normalization of use in one's community. For example, um, I, I mentioned this in our last show, you know, just look at PB. Um, where it's it's normalized, but really on any in any given moment, you could you could say hundreds of people are binge drinking in, in that moment, uh, which seems like okay and socially acceptable, but really from because a mental because everyone's doing it, yeah. But from a clinical lens, you know, it's uh, technically binge drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, exposure to substances or activity at an early age. Yeah. When you say that, Cecile, what comes to my mind is, you know, in conversation with clients I've had before, you ask them, oh, when did you have your first drink? When do you remember? And they tell me, I know. oh, I had, there was a picture of me at three holding my dad's beer can. Yes. You know, and to That's them, child abuse. <laughs> yeah. Um, but to them, it's very normal. It's part of their family story. It's part of their narrative. Right. Or um, I've certainly had clients who said, you know, I had my first thing at 13. You know, my, my grandpa gave me a little sip of something. And again, we're not saying like, because that happened, that single event happened, you're going to turn into a person who's abusing substances. We're just talking about like the, the risk. risk and how that opens up kind of that becomes, a, that can become a gateway to future use and abuse because it's getting normalized for you. Also, uh, the other, another risk factor is having poor coping skills, right? If you don't have a way to process difficult emotions, unpleasant thoughts, you have difficulty regulating yourself, then it's easy to lean on a substance because, I mean, it is effective. Yeah, it works for some time for some people. For the short term, at least. Yeah. So what are some of what we call protective factors? So in our world, we look at risk factors and protective factors. And protective factors are experiences and circumstances that may protect you from developing a substance or process addiction. Well, ideally, you know, the opposite of all the risk factors I just mentioned would be (laughs) the protective factors. But nobody has that kind of life. And we all have, you know, our own set of problems and struggles and we get something passed on to us one way or another, right? Whether it's genetics or environment. That's right. So some of the things, if you're a parent, especially listening to this, or a grandparent, um, some of the, or even a teacher, some of the things that can help uh, avert this is having positive, loving experiences with... Um, a caregiver, a positive role model, somebody who's in a young person's life consistently. Right. Mm-hmm. And who notices that individual's strengths and their um, goals. Right. And celebrates that. Right. Someone who's attuned to your needs, you know, that that is such like a loving solve or balm when somebody just sees you and knows you 
for who you are. And it doesn't always have to be a parent or a family member. Again, like Cecile mentioned, it could be a teacher. It could be a coach, Mm -hmm. um, a pastor, somebody who's in your life who may be mentoring you, really tuned into who you are. Right, right. Positive role models. You know, I can't tell you enough how many times I've heard uh, clients tell me when I ask them to think about like positive role models how, uh, you know, so many of them are outside of the family circle and you just never know what kind of impact you're going to have on somebody. Yeah. And that might be their way of averting, you know, difficult situations in their home life. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe they are seeing substance use, alcohol use in their home life. And that's what they know there. But if you are on the outside giving them these other great healthy experiences experiences that can avert the risk for substance use. Yes. Um, protection from harm or fear. I think that's pretty, you know, self-explanatory. Uh, the absence of abuse or trauma, um, or for most people who've had trauma and abuse, if, if they receive support, validation, and treatment, um, the trauma, the impact of trauma and abuse can be averted. And it doesn't have to be, you know, how it defines you as a person. That's why treatment and therapy is so critical because, healing from these things, you know, even though these can protect you, the factors that we're talking about, sometimes it's not enough. Sometimes you need a space, a safe space with a third party professional who can really help you unpack your thoughts and emotions and have the skill to get you to the next level. Absolutely. And we spend all day, every day doing this work. So thinking about how we hold space for people who are really struggling. And again, that might be the person who is dealing with addiction or substance abuse or you, their family member, their loved one, their spouse, Mm -hmm. um, and being able to give that um, care and comfort. Right. So if this is you or someone you know is struggling with these issues and they live in San Diego, actually, if they live in California... They can give us a call, 619-823-1382, or go to transcendtherapyca.com, and we can start the process of consultation, assessment, and um, possibly making an appointment if you want to move forward. If you're not a resident of San Diego, but you live in California, we can do telehealth sessions, and those are sessions that are provided either over the phone or via video sessions, as long as you live in the state of California our license allows us to do that. And I do that a lot with my out-of-state clients. Oh, sorry, out-of-county clients. So these lists, this list is not an all-inclusive list, but we thought it might be helpful for you to begin to understand how you can prevent this problem. Um, And if you want to learn more about uh, this, you can go to youth.gov, youth.gov, in case you want to learn more about it. Other factors are... um, that I think is important to uh, mention socioeconomic factors, such as having adequate financial resources. That's that can put you at risk for substance abuse. If you, uh, there is a link between poverty and substance abuse and And if you didn't have opportunities to explore and nurture your talents, say through sports or um, other extracurricular activities, then, you know, that can lead to isolation, depression, and then, you could be more vulnerable to maybe joining a gang or using substances. It just it it just increases your risk. Um, healthy social support is also a great protective factor, right? 
feeling loved, supported, seen, like I said before, having people to lean on when things get tough, which happens to all of us. Having great social skills can also be protective. A lot of times, a lot of our clients uh, with social anxiety end up using substances. And that's just one of their quick, easy ways to maybe build up that confidence in a social setting is to drink a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But then it becomes problematic if that's the only way that they feel, they believe that they can make friends or socialize. So if they already have some of that um, ability without substances to make friends and to get to know people, maybe Mm -hmm. they have a deep interest in others, Mm -hmm. that can be a protective factor. Right. Hence the words liquid courage, right? I think that's, that's how it all started. That's my theory. <laughs> Could be. So when we did part one of this show, Anna and I promised to spend some time talking about how substance abuse and addiction can impact family and loved ones. And the reason we wanted to focus on that is because, is because we believe it's easy to overlook the pain and suffering of loved ones because so much of the attention and energy and resources end up being focused on the person with the addiction. But like like we said, this is a family problem. It impacts everybody in that system. And we know that it can have long-lasting effects, especially on children. It can create instability in relationships, right, which, which can lead to divorce, separation, sometimes estrangement from other people. It can impact a loved one's physical, mental health, emotional health. And this is a huge one, what I'm about to say. It can financially impact an entire family because of all the ways that addiction starts to affect um, work. It could be that, yes, people are, you know, they're doing well financially. They're getting to their job every day. They're earning the income needed to support their family. And then at some point, Um, they're calling out of work. Maybe they're losing their job. They're no longer to provide. And when we look to at how people maybe start to increase their substance use, it's usually after loss. And so job loss could be a big one. Right. And, you know, if they get hospitalized, right? And that strain for medical, uh, medical impairments, bills, all of those things. Or if they decide to get treatment, one of the things that are really can be a barrier for people in seeking help is will my insurance for those who fortunately have them cover all of these uh, levels of care, all of these treatment, and uh, unfortunately, not not some of the a lot of the insurance companies only cover a portion of it. Mm-hmm. So that's how that's why it can have huge financial implications for, for that the, person and for that the family. family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, it can also put children at risk for abuse or neglect, especially if there's a co-occurring disorder, which there often is, because the parent addicted is usually compromised in their ability to attune back to that attunement that I was talking about, to attune to the needs of their loved ones, their children, their spouses, because addiction has also compromised their ability to be present, to cope, to self-regulate. So it creates havoc in relationships. It can be very, um, what's the word? It can be very, very disorienting too for a child who is expecting consistency in their parents. Great point. um, And not knowing whether or not, and I hear this from many of my clients, never knowing is their parent going to be sober or not when they walk into their home. Right. Or when dad or mom starts drinking. They start to be hypervigilant. They start to walk on eggshells because they know 
that that's that means a certain thing in their household, that whether perfect. that's going to the time they're going to get abused or the time they're going to get neglected or the time that they might have to make their own dinner. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. really sad. Some of the stories we've heard. So um, it can also lead, there's a strong link between substance abuse and domestic violence. Okay. There's not a causal link, but there is a, a strong correlation Um, So what that means is it doesn't necessarily cause abuse or violence, but increases the occurrence of abuse or violent behaviors. And a lot of times when law enforcement have had to, you know, go to someone's home and intervene, um, a lot of studies have shown that intoxication is a very common um, occurrence. And that totally makes sense when we also look at one of the criteria for addiction for a substance use disorder, which is loss of control. Right. So again, we're not saying that um, substance use or alcohol use causes violence, but it is, again, a huge, huge risk factor to include that. And then thinking about how somebody has difficulty regulating their emotions, maybe they are more easy to anger. And Mm -hmm. now you've also lowered their tolerance to, to regulate. Right. And you know, the other point we haven't even meant, we haven't um, mentioned at all is sometimes people are abusing multiple substances all at once, right? Which can be a lethal cocktail. Polysubstance is what we used to call it. Yeah. And that's really the more common um, picture that we see. It, it is more rare on the one hand to see somebody using only one substance, one substance. Mm-hmm. Um, because eventually, again, when they get to tolerating or becoming dependent on a substance, they find, oh, well, I need to feel something else. Right. I need to add to the sensation that I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And they might combine alcohol and marijuana, alcohol and, and other substances. Um, and just, again, lowering their ability to control their emotions, mm-hmm. um, their actions. And you're just caught in that cycle of addiction and trying to like, recover, get through your day if you're if you have some obligations that you still can fulfill. Yeah. And so if you're a family member looking on the outside, looking in at this person who you care so much about, they're stuck in this cycle, you might be again thinking about, well, what's my uh, what's my part in it? Right, right. And so, you know, to that point, Anna, what are some of the things we can do? I think it's important for listeners to hear about that. Like if you are a loved one wanting some support, how can therapy help? Yeah. So for the family member or the loved one of somebody who's struggling with addiction, maybe addiction is not part of your story, um, but you're seeing it play out. We provide individual therapy um, for that person, also couples therapy, depending again on our assessment and Mm -hmm. evaluation. Um, And maybe when you are ready to have that person who's struggling with addiction, bring in family members. Mm -hmm. Um, Family therapy is a huge component. That's that's a huge key to helping the entire system heal and get better is to have everybody in the room. But if we can't start that at that place, we'll start with the individual. We'll start with that person who picks up the phone and says, you know, it's time for help. Right. Uh, Yeah. And I think, you know, we're going to talk about terminologies later that um, usually apply to those loved ones who are struggling, um, breaking unhealthy patterns. They're getting wrapped up in this other person's um, issues because they care. Right. And it's so conflicting, right? Especially if, you know, you really love this person and you have messages that you received in your family system or maybe church or your culture as to what it means to be loving and kind and forgiving and altruistic 
And all of those value systems can get really conflicting because on one hand, there's a part of you that knows this isn't healthy, you know, and I I don't like it. And maybe it's that part of you that's getting hurt in this process. And then there's another part that's like, oh, but I feel really bad. You know, maybe I should keep enabling this person. And you don't know necessarily that you're enabling them. You're just Um, doing maybe what you feel is best, what you know how to do, which is to be there to support them. Um, But at the same time, it might be perpetuating the problem. Yes, yes. Um, Another thing about substance abuse that probably some people don't realize is this is often a generational cycle. It gets passed on from one family system to another, from one generation to another. And if you just look back at your own family, you might be able to see some of, you know. You can really look at the pathways in a family tree and Mm -hmm. start to notice and Sometimes it might be hard because like Cecile mentioned earlier, there is often estrangement yes. um, and cut off in families where there's been addiction. And so it might be hard to tell, well, oh, did this person really have an alcohol or drug abuse problem? But when we start to ask you know, these questions, we get a lot of clarification on the behaviors that were happening in the family system. Right. And um, the community impact. This is another thing that I think gets overlooked cannot be underestimated, such as in the case of DUIs, domestic violence, child abuse, right? Those victimized often are at high risk for substance abuse themselves. So it just creates that generational pattern that I was talking about. So if this is you, if you are a loved one of somebody who is um, experiencing an addiction, any kind of addiction, know that help is there for you as well. And we can support you. We're not going to tell you what to do, but we certainly can help flesh out your thoughts and your feelings about it and help you break patterns of codependency, help you set healthier boundaries, help you work on your guilt, because that's a big one. Um, In my experience, the guilt gets in the way for making healthier choices And we can help you recover from abuse or emotional neglect if that is part of your story, which it often is. Because again, when you're with somebody who's abusing substances, whether you're a spouse, a child, an aunt, uh, whoever you are, whoever you are, that person. Yeah, but the closer that relationship is, the more chances that your needs are not getting met because that person who's abusing is really unable to and are compromised in their ability to show up for you in that way, in that relationship. And, you know, it's, we're not demonizing them. It's, it's to say that they are. They're in their disease. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, when you think about that, uh, addiction is a illness. It's a medical condition. It's a disease. Um, everybody in the family system has their part as to how they enable or they help the person continue with that problem. Right. It might be also helpful to separate the mental health aspect, like say, for example, if you thought about this as a medical condition, right? Somebody with a chronic medical condition, like say, I don't know, cancer or uh, epilepsy or diabetes, right? If they were um, acutely having their symptoms, it would impact you. It's the same way with substance abuse. I think sometimes it's, it's hard for people to really like validate themselves and their experience because it's a mental health condition. Yeah. Because there's that separation, that stigma that goes along with talking about substance use and addiction uh, and believing that, oh, it comes down to choice. And some people definitely believe that. Mm -hmm. But what we see realistically in our practice is that 
by the point that somebody is unable to control their substance use, it is no longer a choice. Right. Um, they. It is now a disease, yeah. a disorder. I hate those words, but that's 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 and, the truth. And I think it's it's a good way for us to start to really understand the vastness of this problem, mm-hmm. you know, understanding that 40 million people in the U.S. are struggling with addiction. Right. You know, right. Um, and so that means there's 40 plus million people, their family members, you know, you can More multiply that impacted. by three if yeah. that person has three friends or family who need the help and support too. Right. So, so uh, the two terminologies that come to mind when, when we think of addiction, and you guys may have heard this as well in your own life, are enabler and codependency. And so I thought it might be a good idea to just break that down a little bit for our listeners. What does being an enabler mean, right? So one of the ways I, I define that is when you are directly or indirectly encouraging the addiction. You're encouraging the unhealthy, dysfunctional um, behaviors. When you allow the substance abuse to continue, usually by either not confronting it or being unaware, being in denial, being passive about it. And sometimes for some people actually financially supporting it. Yeah. That's one picture that I see very frequently is with some generally parents, um, Mm -hmm. sometimes spouses, but financially providing to a person um, who is using substances, knowing or not knowing that that money is going to procure alcohol or other drugs. Um, The other way too that we see it is, you know, letting somebody continue to live in your home um, while you know that they're still actively using. And that might get into that framework too of, enabling, trying to be of help to them, you know, not wanting to put them out on the street or not wanting to, you know, disengage from the relationship completely, but continuing to enable that process. And I just want to validate that for our listeners, if this is, if you can relate to what we're talking about, because it's incredibly conflicting and confusing, you know, to, to be in that place of knowing that, you know, this doesn't feel good. I'm running out of funds. Um, I've tried to help this person and nothing's changing. And it kind of puts you on this path of helplessness, hopelessness, resentment, and anger, right? And guilt, inappropriate guilt, what I call inappropriate guilt, because really you're not doing anything wrong. So you shouldn't be feeling guilty, but I can see why you would because of the way you're conceptualizing the issue. And then on the other hand, um, you know, feeling stuck and continuing to enable. And not knowing what other options are available, not knowing how to stop this pattern. Um, Part of it too that I see with many of my clients is that they are scared. They've now taken on these very um, disruptive emotional experiences. They're scared, they're angry, they're frustrated. They might feel guilt or shame. And they're very concerned that if they withdraw their help and support of this person, that they're going to end up on the streets. Yeah, or something that bad might happen to them. And then they'll feel responsible. Yes, and they're real concerns. Those are valid concerns. That's why we're talking about this, because we want you to know that there is help available to you. If you live in San Diego or you're in California, give us a call if you think we might be a good fit. 619-823-1382. That number is not the best, uh, um, not, may not be the easiest number to remember. I get that. So just go to our website, <laughs> transcendtherapyca.com, transcendtherapyca.com. Please know 
You don't have to suffer through this alone. There are real solutions to these very complicated and conflicting problems. And very common problems. Yes. Um, lots of the people that we see are, you know, I would say typical people. They go to work, they take care of themselves, they take care of their household, but they also might be taking care of somebody who's addicted. Right. And it can be incredibly overwhelming when you're trying to navigate this on your own and it can actually put you at risk for your own mental health issues, right? A lot of the times when people come in kind of at the later stage of the process, they're already showing up with a lot of symptoms of depression, anxiety, and starting to use substances themselves to help manage their feelings about this situation. So you don't have to wait. Um, Give us a call. Just start the, take the first step and start the process. And you don't have to know kind of what the rest of it is going to look like. Yeah. You don't have to have all the answers. The other uh, word that I think might be important to break down, Anna, is codependency. We hear this a lot and a lot of people have a sense of what it means. I think it might just be easy to, to make it official. Yeah. So this is when um, my simple definition, <clears throat> excuse me, is this is when other people's needs Come before your own. This is when uh, your mood or your state of being is dependent on how your loved one feels. Usually boundaries are enmeshed when you're codependent. Um, It's not knowing where you end and where another begins. You may feel like you have lost yourself in this other person. Yes. Um, And thinking about how if they're happy, you're happy. If they're angry, you're angry. And there's no division. There's no separation between their reality and yours. And you're taking it on, right? And it's almost like you need them to be okay for you to feel okay. And they're not okay sometimes. Or most of the time. And how do you coexist, right? Um, So that's where it can get really tricky and emotionally messy. Um, It can also lead to relationship addiction because... You know, when you're codependent, you can feel like you need that person in your life, no matter how unhealthy the circumstances may be, because usually people at risk for codependency have poor self-esteem or don't have a solid sense of who you are yet. Or they may have grown up in a family system that encouraged codependent behavior and responses, meaning Mm -hmm. that they were needed very deeply emotionally by their parent. Yes. Um, yes. And they didn't develop the skills for healthy, clear, um, concise boundaries. Right. Right. So that's a great point that oftentimes these are learned behaviors. These were either you directly experienced codependency or it was modeled to you. Right. And in homes where abuse and neglect are were common occurrences, we see, we see this tendency. We see the next generation living it out again mm-hmm. um, and maybe engaging in a partnership with somebody who is using substances. Right. And, you know, I think culture can also encourage it, right? I know in my culture, um, I'm Filipino-American, and it can, you know, be confusing sometimes to sort through some of the cultural messages and to figure out, okay... How do I want to navigate that particular virtue or practice? I'm talking about things like sacrifice. That's a big one in our culture, right? Generosity, kindness, love. And so it can get confusing to, to still, you know, how do I, how do I, you know, balance all of those values that are important to me? And then on the one hand, have to cut someone off. That's not healthy for me. How is that loving? How is that kind, right? How is that 
you know, it's holding within God's God's word. Right. And so therapists like us, we can help you flesh that out and sort through that because that, that can be incredibly, like I said, confusing. And especially when it's this pattern that's been carried over from generation to generation of this is just the way things are done. Yes. And if you are starting to realize that maybe, you know, I don't want to do it this way. I don't want to be, you know, subject to abuse or judgment or criticism by this person who I am also trying to help. Mm -hmm. um, You can reach out. Yes. And I think I do believe there's a way to help that loved one and still be healthy and feel good about that. And help yourself. Yes. And so maybe as we kind of transition from understanding these terms of enabler and codependent, um, what are some of the ways, Cecile, that we help that individual, that family member, Mm -hmm. um, reclaim some of their own life back? Sure. And before I jump into that, I just also, a thought just came to me, you know, for those of you with a spiritual orientation or um, believe in a God, you know, that tend to, that can sometimes get in people's way of doing a healthy thing because their faith has conflicted them. I want to say to you that the God that I know wouldn't want you to be in an unhealthy, unloving, toxic relationship. So just bear that in mind when you start to get conflicted. And like I said, a transcend therapy, we can help you flesh that out and you can get to a place where you feel okay making healthy choices for yourself, even if that means you have to make tough choices for your loved ones or on behalf of your loved ones. Okay. So what can we do? Uh, What can you do about this? Um, So self-care really. Um, The first thing I can think of is educating yourself on addiction, understanding that like Anna said before, that this isn't just um, a cognitive process that someone can just snap out of it and go, okay, I'm done. Um, Once it reaches that point of addiction, it is really a a disease. And it's it's a a medical condition that warrants treatment and support. So for you, just knowing that sometimes can be kind of an epiphany of like, ah, okay, there's a condition going on here. This is bigger than me. This is not something I can completely affect or influence or change. And you're not necessarily even the cause of it. If you are, say, a spouse, a parent, um, you're not the cause of it, but you have a part to play in healing it. Yes. And you can, you know, once you become more aware, you can start to look at the ways maybe you've been codependent and the ways that maybe you have enabled, right? Uh, Seek support from healthy people, people who truly understand and have a good grasp on what's happening. So that could be a therapist like us. Um, it could a pastor, be a pastor, um, a sober friend, exactly. <laughs> um, sober support groups. Um, there are a lot of different avenues for that. And um, we'll get into it a little bit more later, but having again, those social skills, addiction is a very isolating disease. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to hide it behind closed doors and not talk about it with others, but there's so much power in people reaching out yes. um, to one another. I have a lot of folks who they'll go to support groups for parents of um, people who are addicted. Mm-hmm. They'll connect mm-hmm. um, and kind of reopen their, their life mm-hmm. doing that. Yeah. And the other thing that uh, therapists can do is help you get to the heart of the matter and potentially save you lots of time, energy, and even financial resources, right? In other words, help you break the cycle of pain 
and codependency a lot, a lot quicker. Basic self-care. So that's just, you know, getting enough sleep, having good diet, exercise, socializing. That's just Essential human needs. Yes. You find that you are not sleeping well, you are not eating well, you're not taking care of your physical body. Um, How well can you expect to be taking care of someone else? Mm -hmm. Um, I see a lot of moms in um, my practice and understanding how do you take care of yourself when you have this other person to care for. Right. And it's hard to, you know, get to that place of clarity and calm when you're not taking care of yourself, right? Emotionally, it's it's hard to get to that place of stability, which you require if you're going to try to break this pattern in your life. You're going to need that sense of calm and clarity and courage. But if you're not taking care of yourself, it delays that process. Um, make time to do the things you enjoy. So even if, say, you're still, because we're, you know, we're all in different places. So say you're still in this uh, relationship with this person who has a substance abuse problem, and you're you're not sure what you want to do about it yet. Um, have you know? Have some time for yourself, right? Like socialize with healthy people, or have some fun, whatever that looks like for you. And um, consider you know uh, some form of mindfulness practice if 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 you're open to that, where you can quiet your mind, tune out the noise, reflect on how you're feeling, how you're doing. And that doesn't have to be in a yoga class or a meditation group. It can be at home, gardening, a gentle walk, a yoga class, going to the beach, a hike. You could read a book. That could be one way to quiet your mind and focus. And really, when I teach people mindfulness practices or encourage them not to this do fancy them, retreat that you uh, go to. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's really intended to help them get present, mm-hmm. um, to help them focus on where they are in that very moment. And knowing that that can give them a little bit of pause, a little bit of a break, some distance from whatever problem they're experiencing. Yeah. And it's just a good practice to have in general, you know, because there's so much coming at us at any given moment. There's so much information that's being thrown at us and it just amps up your nervous system. I feel like collectively you have this like nervous system that's all on edge because of just the way our culture is and the digital, how digital uh, life has changed us. How fast it is. Mm-hmm. So whatever works to ground and relax you, okay? Because those are the moments when you can have access to that part of your brain, the rational part of your brain that can start to see what's really happening and maybe create that space of like, oh, this is how I'm feeling and I don't like it. Maybe I should do something about that. Yeah. When we spoke during the first part of the show about ambivalence, ambivalence for the person who's using substances, we often see the ambivalence in the loved ones, the family members as well. And so having some way to look at where they are in the present moment, looking at their own physical Mm self-care, that can help them transition from one side of the ambivalence fence to the other. action. Yeah. Right, right. Another thing, another small point I want to make as well, just from a, a, a brain health perspective is, you know, it can be chaotic to be in a relationship with somebody who has an addiction and you can kind of be in this place of chaos and hypervigilance and your nervous system getting all amped up. Um, so just know that because that impacts those things impact you physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, and you let's not underestimate 
that kind of, you know, effect. The toll that it might take on somebody physically. Again, Mm -hmm. when we go to that basic self-care, this person is not sleeping. They're not eating well. They're physically run down. They might be getting sick more often because Mm -hmm. they're investing. We see that a lot. So much in um, somebody else's issues because maybe they're codependent and they feel that that person's issues or problems are theirs. Right. And sometimes when you're not that uh, attuned to what's happening to you emotionally and mentally, Guess what, guys? Your body will let you know. When you start getting sick, getting a lot of colds, your immune system's compromised, those can be uh, indicators that, and usually there, you know, there are, there are, uh, there is a relationship between what's happening to your body and what's happening to you mentally and emotionally, that mind-body connection. So how can we help you at Transcend Therapy? Like we said, we can do individual therapy, couples, family therapy, if that's appropriate. And we accept all forms of insurance. We also, of course, uh, accept out-of-pocket clients. We do telehealth. That's video and phone sessions if you can't come in uh, face-to-face. And I want to offer this to you guys. We haven't done this before. If you call and you say the words, get mental, we will give you 20% off your first session. Okay, but you have to make sure that you... Say those words, get mental. So either if you're listening on the show or through the podcast, it doesn't matter. Just say those words and we will honor that. That is a great thing, Cecile, to be able to let people know that there is help, um, that they can access some really quality care at whatever stage they're in. Yes, yes. So now we have reached one of my favorite parts of the show called Inspiration Corner. I'm going to have to put some music around this. Some actual drum roll. Yes. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to take care of that. Don't you worry. Okay. So the first person I had in mind, there's so many because unfortunately this is so common, like Anna and I said, but the one that stands out is um, a 32 year old uh, female client I've had for a few years, to be honest. And she has so much trauma. She's a child of both parents who were both chronic substance abusers. Mom, mom passed away um, and dad is still actively using. using and in and out of prison, unfortunately. And this woman is so resilient. Um, she has been put in very dangerous situations as a child, moved from one place to another, sometimes hotel rooms with all these adults. Just being using. neglected. Yes. Oh my God. It breaks my heart. Just thinking about it. Um, Yeah, she was very neglected, abused mentally, emotionally, sexually. Um, And, uh, you know, fast forward, she started, uh, I started seeing her because of relationship issues. And now we're working on just a lot of her history, her traumatic history, because now there's space for that. Yeah. Right. Because oftentimes, you know, with complex trauma like this, it's like peeling the layers of that onion. And it, there's just so, it's so layered. There's so many things to kind of work through. But what inspires me about her is she has committed to her healing and growth. The only one in her family system doing that because dad's still using in and out of jail. Brothers are using, she isn't. And she has a good paying job. She works for the county. I mean, she's you know, made this you know motion to break free of that cycle. Absolutely. And she pays out of pocket on top of all of that. So this is the commitment level that this 
woman has for her healing. She's breaking patterns. She's not out of the woods yet, but meaning there are other parts of the trauma that we still have to work on, but she certainly is in a much healthier place. Um, I just want people to know, you know, complex trauma, and, and if you're a child of chronic substance abusers, healing can take time because it is it is often a very complicated and layered phenomenon. And that really reminds me, Cecile, of the fact that when we think about people's resilience, children yes. are incredibly, incredibly resilient, yes. regardless of the um, things that they may see, they may witness, they may experience because they were in... Um, a neglected or abusive system. Um, but people, again, have this great ability to keep moving forward. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that because that is why I do this Inspiration Corner is for people to know that, you're, you know, I say it all the time, it, you're never too old, never too sick. And that's not an original quote, by the way. That's from uh, Bikram, um, Bikram Yoga. So, you know, as long as you're showing up, no matter what form you're showing up in, there is always hope for change and growth and healing. And you deserve it because just like for this woman, it was not her fault that all these things happened to her, but she had enough emotional intelligence to know that it is her responsibility to do something about it. And she had to take care of it for herself. Yes. And it's a wonderful example of post-traumatic growth that you can grow from these things if you choose to, right? That's where the choice comes in and the incredible power of one person to change her life. Because now if she chooses to have children or have, well, she is in other relationships, she can now positively impact those relationships and break that cycle of abuse and addiction and neglect. She'll be a transformed person to carry on a new message to her, the rest of her you know, family, the generations that come after her. Right, right. And the work isn't always easy, but it is so worth it. And uh, if she could come on the show, I'm sure she would have like a, an amazing kind of st- story to tell you about her, her therapeutic journey. The other thing, the other uh, person that stands out to me when thinking about inspiration is um, a current client of mine who is in his 30s, a male client. He was heavily uh, involved in sex addiction. And when we started working together, you know, it took a while for him to disclose that. And throughout our work... To build up that trust. Yes. And the shame around sex addiction. That's another topic in and of itself. Um, But he started to uh, disclose that. And we, you know, throughout our work together, he decided to disclose it to his family, knowing the risk he was taking. And fast forward, he is now going through a divorce. His wife is incredibly enraged. And this, that's, you know, and rightfully so valid reactions. Yes. But the irony is, this is why he's an inspiration is this is, even though he's in so much pain over the loss of his family, this is also the best and healthiest version of himself he has ever been. The most honest and true self. Yes. And so he has this clarity and courage that even though he's in pain and this is not the outcome he wanted, his recovery work has really, you know... Propelled him to a new life. Yes, yes. So that's what's possible, guys. So we have to wrap up here. If you are just tuning in, this is Get Mental with Cecile Ahrens. And Anna Delapaz. And give us a call, 619-823-1382, or go to our website, transcendtherapyca.com. And thank you for listening for this hour. 
And like I always say, be well and be gentle. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us today on Get Mental with Cecile Aarons. To learn more about Cecile, become a sponsor or guest on Get Mental, or if you have any questions about mental health, visit TranscendTherapyCA.com. That's TranscendTherapyCA.com. Join us next week at this same time for more talk on all things mental health on Get Mental with Cecile Aarons. Don't try.